This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. The ability to answer this burning question is crucial to crafting the appropriate solution to any problem, challenge, or conundrum. The question is, what is the need that we are trying to meet? More precisely, a defining answer to this query should precede the quantitative solution. In other words, the ability to state precisely what we need or what need we are trying to meet before defining its scope is necessary. Regarding food security, what is the need we are trying to meet? Within the context of food banks, it is often about ensuring people who are food insecure have the right access to the food they both want and need. If this is the right answer to the right question, we can move forward defining the scope of this need. Numbers are often thrown around a lot in our work. Currently, it's estimated that some 35 million plus citizens in America do not have enough access to the food to meet their needs, approximately 10% of the nation's population. In Michigan, those statistics correspond closely to the national numbers. About 10% of the state's population struggle to see very far into the future in regard to their food, the food they need for themselves and for their families. This stress, this unknown, cripples people's ability to achieve, thrive, and overcome. I'm convinced understanding the need, who is hungry, where do they live, and why they are hungry is necessary to crafting the right size solution to meet the need. Understanding the need, crafting the appropriate size solution, and finding creative, dignified means by which the need is met is the work of the Food Bank Council and our member food banks. Understanding the need and how we meet it is next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Jerry, great to see you. Good to be back in our WJR studio here. It is good to be back. Always good to see you, Doctor, and I'm so grateful for all you do. Uh, Listening to the monologue, I thought to myself, you know, we've said several times on the show, the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. And so here we are talking about the need, right? And what need are we trying to solve? And, And we've described that as who needs help? How much help do they need and for how long, right? Mm. That, that, you know, when you, when you start to really think about the need you're trying to meet, you have to have some idea of the answer to those questions. And, and you have to use estimates, you know. The, there isn't a perfect data source that can give you all those answers. And so we, we use models to try to understand. We use the data that we have from specific individuals from our work that, we, that helps us understand. But at the end of the day, we don't have perfect answers to the questions, who needs help, 
how much help do they need and for how long. And, of course, that sets up, um, do I want to say conflict? Probably, right? It sets up differences of opinion that can't really be substantiated. So what you end up with is a lot of ideological conversations that don't really answer the question about need. They just answer the question about how people think the world should be. Yeah, that's true. And that, that is a stumbling block, I think, in our work, um, not just here in Michigan, but nationwide. Um, so understanding the need, uh, what is the need? What, what need are we trying to meet? Uh, and some folks would say we're trying to meet poverty. And some folks would say we're trying to create food security and address hunger that people have on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so I, I think whichever problem you're trying to solve is going to take you down uh, different routes. And so, you know, th- the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. If indeed that axiom is true, which I believe it is, uh, I think I'm going to go down the road of trying to create a food secure community rather than take on the giant monolithic problem of poverty in America? Well, I'll, I kind of frame it this way in my mind. If, if you think the problem is the system, then your solutions are going to be oriented around the system. If you think the problem is the person, then your solutions are going to be oriented around the person, right? Both of those things require a very deep understanding of systems and people. So, so when you start to try to solve a problem, whether it's poverty or whether it's food insecurity, why the first question I ask is, who needs help? Is because the answer to that question is going to orient you toward if the people that need help are driven down mostly by the system, then it, then it needs a system solution. But on the other hand, if, if who needs help are being driven down by things intrinsic to themselves, whether it's a substance abuse issue, whether it's a mental health issue, whatever those things might be that are really oriented toward the person and what that person is capable of doing for themselves, then your solution is going to have to be pointed toward what does that person need because no matter what the system is, they're going to be um, challenged right by their own personal you know situation sure so so obviously those two things have to go together and if you have a system that deals with mental health better you're going to help that person overcome their challenges more right so they they do go together and and not to say they don't but we can't romanticize either systems or people we have to look at both with a real clear-headed um understanding of where do the the issues really lie in terms of the need? So if we take food security as the starting point, we say by addressing food security, we empower and enable the answers to the other things, right? Whether it's housing, whether it's getting a job, whether it's education, right? We believe that addressing food insecurity by itself without trying to tackle all of the issues of poverty and all the systems involved in why there's poverty, that we have a better chance of answering the question, who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long, than if we try to answer a broad question like poverty, where now you're, you're really muddying the waters more. It doesn't mean we don't ask those questions. It doesn't mean we don't understand the, the reason why those are important. 
but it's a leap further than where we are now in terms of understanding the need. So, you know, there's a big difference of opinion uh, on that. I'm sure all of our listeners are probably wondering or thinking about, where do I stand on that now? You know, now that we've laid it out there, what do I think about that? And that's okay. The conversation is important. Getting clarity around it is important. And we do that by expressing, here's a point of view. Now, what do we do with that? So sociology has a huge role to play in our work. So one of the things you talk about there, Jerry, is... um, is if you see the problem, the, the people as a problem to be solved. And we've had some thoughts on this show through the years about that. And that is if you look at the person who is, or the family that is food insecure as a problem to be solved, rather than people who are worthy of investment, it really changes how you approach the work. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. You know, one of the things that we're we're talking about a lot is how do we tell the story of the people we serve? And we think it's really important that we tell that story in a way that the people we serve would be proud of. Because people are saving themselves every day. Mm-hmm. They're saving themselves every day. They are invested in their success. <clears throat> we can agree or disagree with the methods people use to do that, but I am... I find it remarkable how much people do every day to make it, right? And one of the things I was just, uh, we had a volunteer group in at the food bank, and somebody asked the question, what myth do you want to bust the most? (laughs) And I said, you know, the myth I want to bust the most is that the people we serve are a problem to be solved because that's not how I think about it, and it's not how I experience it. My experience is people are doing an awful lot, and if if I had to, to, with the resources they have, solve the problems they have to solve every day, I would have a hard time, right? Sure. It, would take me, it would take me a long time to learn something that they're doing every day. So do we step alongside people so that it makes that reality easier to manage? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's an investment in what they're already doing. And, and who they are and who they can become. Exactly right. Let's take a quick break here, Jerry. We're going to come back. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with you on Food First Michigan. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson in our WJR studio recording this uh, show that plays on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. and also gets converted to a podcast called Food First Michigan, and you can find that wherever you find your podcast. Jerry, um, I like the topic today. It's hard. And it's why the problem isn't solved, right? And so it's, it's you know, when you think about the scientific method or the systematic approach or whatever you want to call it, you know, you, you have to start by understanding, well, what's the basis for moving forward from here? What What is it that we're really trying to understand? And do we have a way to understand it, right? So one of the things we've been working on for, for probably four or five solid years is the household impact model. You know, where we say there's four things we think we that food security does to help a household. It it provides an economic benefit when people get food. Immediately. Right. 
because they don't have to go to the store and buy it. So that's that's helping their household budget. The second thing we talk about is stability. And we talk about that based on our experience of people. They're struggling to do everything they need to do to get to work and get their kids to school and get clothes and pay the rent and pay the bills. And when they have one of those items off the table, how am I going to feed my family, mm-hmm. they have... Uh, a more stable environment, right? Where there's less stress and less opportunity to make a mistake because you now have at least a little more space to be thinking about what it is you need. And we to call do. those trade offs, right? Exactly. That choices that families have to make between paying this bill or that bill. And, and when, when food security is created in that household, when hunger effectively comes off the table and is replaced with access to food that people want and need. That's one trade-off they don't have to make. One decision they don't have to make between food and utilities or whatever else. Yep. And so they're more likely to be able to stay in their house. That's stabilizing, right? Their kids are going to be more likely to have a positive experience at school because the emotional trauma of food insecurity is less present, right? So that's stabilizing to the relationships that kid is having in school, right? And there's a lot of other things that, that link to this idea of by providing food security, you provide greater stability. Mm-hmm. So the next piece of the model is health. If people have access to nutritious, healthy food, it makes them much less likely to get chronic diseases like diabetes, like heart disease, um, like high Wait blood a minute. Pressure. Is that an original idea with you? Oh, wait, no. I think it was Socrates who actually <laughs> said, let food be thy medicine. So. <laughs> right, but I still want credit. I mean, you know, who remembers sure. Socrates after all? I mean, it's just a name now. <laughs> <Right>. Anyway... <laughs> So so um, so anyway, health, right? And we know that one of the main things driving food insecurity, it isn't the main thing, but one of the top things is people have a health crisis they have to overcome, and they can't afford to have a health crisis because it takes them away from work, because it takes them away from their kids, because it costs money to, to manage a health crisis, right? So, so again, just kind of repeating economic benefit, stability, health, And then the very last thing, which is connected to those three, is empowerment. If we want people to have space to manage their life to success, we have to empower them to do it. We have to walk alongside them and and help them have the things that they need to do that. Now, again, empowerment's a complicated issue, and it's a word that's probably overused. But fundamentally, the idea is we are walking with people, right? We're not We're not telling people what to do. We're saying, we trust you. We believe in you. We think you're already figuring out what to do. And if we can enable that, we empower you to your success the way that you imagine it to be. Now, we all know every one of us isn't perfect. And we don't expect the people we work with to be perfect either. But we do believe in them. We do believe that people want what's best for themselves way more than we want what's best for them, right? That they are invested in their life more than we could ever be, right? And so by providing food and, and giving people the economic benefit, the stability, the health benefit, it empowers them to be their best. Now, that doesn't mean that's all people need. There's a range of what people need, and that's why we get back to that question. Who needs help? Some people need a little bit of help, and that's all the help they need. Right. Other people, you could give them every single thing 
you know, basic need and, and whatever else that they need. And because of the challenges they have, it still won't be enough for them to manage on their own. So the USDA has a chart that describes low food insecurity all the way down to intense or high food insecurity. And that's the the, the folks you just mentioned that, that who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long are people that are on a monthly or bi-monthly basis are in and out of being food insecure. They might have enough for most of the month, but they don't have quite enough. They got more month than they do money. So one of the big questions we are faced with all the time is how much is enough? Right. And part of the reason we're faced with that question is because someone has to pay for all of this, right? If we're going to be helping people, we have to understand how much of that help is purely charitable. In other words, we have no expectations. We're doing this out of the goodness of our heart for people who are in need. It's pure charity. There's no, you know, hypotheses. There's no particular outcomes. It's just what we do because we want to help people because we're good people and we're altruistic and we want to do good things, right? And there will always be some of that needed. There will always be some of that needed. Sure. On the other end of the spectrum is people that want defined outcomes. If I give you this, I expect this, this, and this from you and your work, right? And and that's a legitimate and important perspective as well. We have to be able to talk about the progress we're making and how it changes people's lives and the community when we do this work. We, we, we are required at the very basic level of stewardship to be able to answer some of those questions. So so you've got this spectrum of pure charity and pure outcomes-driven results, and the answers are going to be between those two points. You're never going to have a system that's perfect enough to be purely outcomes-driven. On the other hand, if you only operate by charity alone, you will never raise enough resources to solve the problem. Let me see if I can put this in a Dr. Philism here. Um, so in order to right size the, the, the solution, the, the answer, we have to know, understand what the size and the scope of the problem is. And in my estimation, that's where we fall down. We can estimate, maybe even guesstimate, and we say 35 million plus people in the pandemic, we said, well, almost approaching 50 million people were food insecure. So we're talking 10, 11% of the nation's population. And that figure, as I said in the monologue, holds pretty true here in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so remembering that the way the USDA comes up with their food insecurity rate, which is what we're really talking about here, it is a self-reported number. They interact with people and they survey them and they say, do you have enough food to make it to the end of the month or do you find yourself short of food from time to time? And I know that's not the exact question, but it's, it's like pretty that. close. <laughs> and when people say, I find myself short of food from time to time, they're food insecure. Right. So, again, there's there's not a lot of scientific study there. There's a social service questionnaire that has a reasonable amount of accuracy so that we can somehow map is the trend going up and down? How right. many people might be affected by this? Um, but it's not very deep. It's a pretty shallow understanding of what food security is. Well, I'm I'm happy we got to take a break, but I'm happy to report that we're doing a little something about that, and that 
the Michigan legislature has uh, appropriated uh, some funds to the Food Bank Council to allow us to create Michigan's first hunger study. And we're going to be able to help hopefully answer some of these questions. Who needs help? How much help do they need? And for how long? That's the work, and we're doing it. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back in just a moment. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Talking about what is the need and defining that need. And I closed the last segment, Jerry, uh, Jerry Rasson, Dr. Phil Knight here, uh, with uh, the announcement that uh, the state of Michigan has invested some money with the Food Bank Council in order to help us create Michigan's first hunger study. And uh, our own Dr. Dawn Opal, uh, who leads our innovation and research and is also our general counsel, um, is leading that project. And we're excited to see what it could mean in regard to defining the need. Well, I, I have to give a big shout out to, to Dr. Don Opal. She has been such a, an important resource and leader for our work. Um, she's a Ph.D. researcher as well as a, you know, bar approved lawyer. She she is smart as a whip and so quick, so quick. Uh, just because she's been at this so long, she knows so much. I mean, I like what you say. She's forgotten more about this than most of us will ever know about it. <laughs> right. So, so, uh, so I just want to give her a big shout out and and how much farther ahead we are as a food bank network in the state of Michigan because we have Dr. Opal helping us really understand the research. Um, implications of doing something like a hunger study, right? We all think we know how to collect information, but when you start to do it, you realize, oh, wait a minute, uh, we should have asked this question, or maybe we should have done it this way, because when we get the information back, it's not really what we were looking for, and you can't afford to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. You have to get it right the first time so that you can actually use the information, and she's leading us through that process, and we're all learning a lot about what is the best way to answer the question, who needs help, or questions, who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long, and it'll help us tell the story better, and really, um, I, I would say, appropriately steward the resources we have to solve the problem. Right. Well, I think it, you know, one of the key interests, I think, that people who are both proponents and maybe opponents of our work, of this work, is is the frustration of we're investing enormous amounts of funds into these various anti-hunger programs. And the question remains, when will it be enough? What's the right level? And unfortunately, the answer to that question currently is if we we can't right size the solution if we don't understand the size and the scope of the problem. And I think that's a critical point for us nationally and here in our own state of Michigan. Yeah. uh, And it's so it's complicated by the fact that everyone involved in this is solving a different problem. Or maybe that's that's a little too grandiose, but there are different camps 
who are trying to solve different problems using the same tool, right? So if the tool is SNAP, which is the food stamp program, right? And, and what, you're, what you're trying to do with SNAP is answer that question, right? And so for some people, what they're trying to do is address household poverty. They see it as an income source for people, not as a food security solution, right? And so when you ask that group, how much SNAP do we need? You need enough SNAP until there's no more poverty, right? So that's, that's a different answer than if you're saying, let's take food security, address that, and take hunger off the table. Now how big should the SNAP program be? So, so the bigger the problem you're trying to solve, the more complicated the answer to the question how much is, right? So if you're trying to solve all the, all the issues that create poverty and you look at all the federal help programs from Social Security to SNAP to WIC to food in schools, right, all those things, you start to bundle them together and you're not done until you've bundled enough resources to solve the whole problem of poverty. So there's where arguments get started, right? Because there's a bunch of people that say social services are not the way to solve poverty. We need to have better jobs. We need to have higher paying jobs. We need to focus on the economy. We need to invest our money in lower taxes and more benefits for business so they can hire more people because that not only solves poverty, but it creates money that drives further success for the community. Then you have the other side saying, well, is that working? Are we seeing that happen? Why, haven't, why hasn't that happened already? If that's such a great solution, why hasn't that happened already? And now you get into, well, because the labor force has issues and the resources available, there's issues. And I know it's, it's like it's expanding, 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 expanding. But, though, but, but, if, but the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve, Jerry. Right. Right. And, and so that's why we have to be in the conversation. That's why we can't stop listening. We have to listen to everybody who's interested in making the world a better place because their perspective is important to understand. And in many cases, part of the solution lies within that perspective. Right. And when I say the solution, now we're talking about the solution to everybody being hale and happy and having a perfect society. Right. And whether or not we can do that, it's still the right question. It's just how much do you tackle at once? Well, from my my perspective, both is experiential knowledge and and then also personally and then also the travels that I've done across this world. um, I would say and this is one of the reasons we named the show what we did, which is food first. I, I want poverty to be solved. Don't get me wrong. I just think the first step in solving poverty is creating food security. And one of the reasons I do, and this is going to shock some folks, is because I think food security is probably the easiest problem within the poverty matrix to solve. We got lots of food. I mean, America is still the world's breadbasket. Um, and, you know, you, you have a historical perspective on why we have so much food. And, you know, it was some year in the 50s where we had, what, more tractors on farms than horses and mules. Right. And and the invention of ammonia-based fertilizer in the 60s created this this enormous industrialization of agriculture where we had a lot of food, and we still have a lot of food. 
And so, you know, I think then it begins to sharpen the problem a little more when we talk about access. We got lots of food, but but we got 10, 11% of the population who feel they don't have enough access to food. And then you've got some 22 million households across the, the, um, the nation that are using SNAP, you brought up a few minutes ago. Um, that's a lot. 22%, uh, 22 million homes that are dependent on the supplemental nutrition assistance program. Uh, you know, we, the nation we spent, I'm looking here uh, from, from 2022 data, we, we spent something like $118 billion. I, I think it's a legitimate question on both sides of the ideological coin here to say, when is enough? And is it enough? But don't forget that SNAP is the supplemental nutrition assistance program. Right. It is not designed to meet every, you know, calorie need for every person on the in in this country. So I, I think those are important perspectives. Well, and filling in our understanding of who needs help, how much help do they need and for how long in more in more detail. Right. So we say kids need nutrition to learn. So does that mean that the only thing kids need to learn is nutrition? No, that's not what it means. It means that if we leave nutrition behind and we do all of the other things that kids need to to learn, some kids are going to be left behind because they didn't get nutrition, right? So so when you look at all the factors that that create a positive environment for learning, nutrition is one of several. So when you look at all of the issues that, that households have when they're trying to manage their life, what you will find is that nutrition has a place in every solution to every problem, hmm. right? And, and, and actually, for people that need housing, I, I believe that about housing, too. I mean, it's, I, I, but, but housing is more expensive. It's more complicated. It, it, there's more things about that. <laughs> In my bingo card, I've got food security and housing security as, as you know, 1A and B. Yeah. And, and so we understand that, that providing food isn't going to be all that needs to be done. But when we look at the whole scope of what households face, and we if we can take hunger off the table for those households, we believe it'll affect more people and have more overall benefits socially than trying to solve everything all at once, even though we are going to be trying to solve everything at once, because these are things that people really need. So let me, let me we gotta, we're gonna take a break in a second here, but I, I'm I'm trusting my my team. Now, who's my team? My team are the people who are working on housing. Right. My my team is is the ones working to improve education outcomes for children. Uh, my team is whatever other problem you're trying to solve. But to support my team, the best thing I can do is to solve the problem I'm tackling. Yeah to be excellent at what I'm trying yep. to do yep, and trust that they're going to be excellent at what they're trying to do. 
Now, should we all meet together and and have a conference and maybe end up singing Kumbaya? But maybe, probably we should. But I don't think there's any one of us who's big enough to solve all of this on our own. Right. But we all have a role to play in creating this food secure community that leads people to self-sufficiency. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I and I was just having a conversation yesterday with one of my leaders about as you get into this work and you deepen your understanding of what it takes to solve uh, for food insecurity, you end up hearing a lot of perspectives that come from people's life experience, right? People, people are are born into a certain community, into a certain household that has certain values and certain ideas and beliefs about how things should be, and then those are reinforced or not as a person gets older and they they take their life path, and a lot of what they believe about this work comes from that life path. It doesn't come from research. It doesn't come from education. It doesn't come from some other place. A lot of what people believe about community comes from wherever they grew up and who surrounded them on their life journey. That's not a bad thing. That gives us a broad perspective. The trouble is when we believe our own story so much that we resist education and we resist a different experience and we resist deepening our understanding based on somebody else's life story. And how do you draw together millions of life stories so that you can come to some agreement about what it is we're trying to do and why? But that is the work. Right. The work is to find a place for every one of those life stories, whether it's somebody that we're serving in our work or somebody that's donating to our work or somebody that's volunteering in our work or the staffs who are doing the work. There has to be room for every one of those life stories to enrich and deepen how we can solve this problem. And that's hard, but it's also beautiful. You, you develop an appreciation and a true love for how amazing people are if you allow your heart to be open to all of those life stories. He's Jerry Passan. He's waxing eloquent today. As always, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food First Michigan, and we'll be back for our last segment in just a second. everyone Jerry Brisson Dr. Phil Knight to we are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan and Jerry um, probably you, you should tell the audience what we really think about everything we've said on the show thus far <laughs> it's a journey right <laughs> and it's a journey that we have a lot more listening to do not just telling so we're trying to lay out some ideas here about how you have to think about knowing what the need is you know who needs help how much to help do they need and for how long are we trying to solve poverty are we trying to solve food insecurity and we want to make a point of view clear based on our experience saying that we know we have a lot more to learn and that's why we continue at it right so if you've heard anything on the show that you have a different opinion about you know, give us a message. You know, we're great with that. We want to continue to deepen our understanding of 
all of the things that are going to make our community better while we're very laser focused on how do we take hunger off the table for our neighbors in need. And that is how it's going to lay out and play out, right? It's it's more important to understand this is a journey than to understand that you're right or wrong about something, right? Uh, we're probably right about some things and don't know enough about other things. And so we just want to continue to include people in the conversation who have different points of view about what is the best way to get to a community where we can all thrive. Well, I think that's well said, Jerry, and needed to be said because I, I don't think we think we have this figured out. Uh, it is a journey. We want to walk humbly on this journey. That said, three questions. Who needs help? How much help do they need and for how long? And when we can answer that, we can right-size the solution. Well, now it really is time for a little food for thought. Once we understand the need, how do we meet it? Some would argue more urban farms. Other would say more hoop houses or farmer's markets. And all these are good ideas and contribute to the solution. Some would say a larger SNAP budget and even offer economic solutions like guaranteed household income. All are worthy of discussion, but I'm not a program person. But what I am is a philosopher, so to meet this need, we must define the need and we are trying to meet, and then we must ask ourselves three additional questions. I just gave them to you, Jerry. Can we meet the need in a unique way? Can we meet the need in an inspiring way? And can we meet the need with excellence? To do this, this way, I'm convinced you start with food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.